Our reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 1. Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the, the, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please keep the passage open in front of you, page 1195, and let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your great mercy, you have given us your word so that we can read it, learn from it, and live according to it. So please teach us now by your spirit, we pray. Amen. As Christians, we have the great privilege of being involved in the greatest relay race in history. It has been going on for hundreds of years. It has been spreading throughout the world. As one generation passes the baton on to the next generation. But as we know from relay races, and this is the exciting bit when you're watching a relay race, the key moment is in the handover, isn't it? As one person passes the baton on to the next, what you mustn't do is drop the baton. Now we're starting a new sermon series which takes us up to the end of July, going through the letter of 2 Timothy. And what we find in this letter is that early on in the relay race of the gospel being passed from one generation to the next, there was a moment where there was a wobble, where the baton could have been dropped. And Paul is writing to Timothy, leader of a church, to urge him not to drop the baton. What's the situation that they're in? Well, Paul uh, was in prison in Rome, awaiting trial and expecting that he was going to be executed. He was on trial because of his faith in Jesus. And you find out more about that later on in the letter. It was written around 65 AD, around that time, just before Paul was killed, executed. 
And Timothy, who he's writing to, is the leader of a church in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And just have a look in the letter to see the kind of situation that Timothy was in, because it was difficult. It was a hard time for him and a hard time for the church. Just have a look, would you, um, chapter 2, verse 14. So page 1196. We'll dip into just a few places to see what was going on. So verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. So in the church in Ephesus, there was quarrelling. People arguing with one another about words about things which actually don't seem that significant. But also, verse 16 and 17 of chapter 2, have a look, it says, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who've departed from the truth. So Paul is warning Timothy, in in your church, there, there are those who are teaching what is not true. And their teaching is dangerous. So Timothy, not only have you got people quarrelling, you've got dangerous teaching in the church that you've got to deal with. Verse 25 of chapter 2. If you just cast your eyes down to there. Opponents, he says, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. So uh, Timothy's, you've got opponents, haven't you? Those who are opposing you. Can you imagine what coffee time would have been like at this church? Wouldn't have been that much fun, would it? Quarrelling, arguing with one another. Those who are, you know, spreading false teaching. Those who are opposing Timothy. Maybe you wouldn't have wanted to be on the door as people leave. A difficult place. And Paul says, be aware it's going to get worse. Or could get worse. Verse chapter 3, beginning of chapter 3 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and so on and so on. He paints a picture of people who will be really self-centered and self-loving and, and it, not nice. And, and Paul's saying that's the way it will be. Timothy, that's the kind of church you're in and how things could go. And we'll see more things as we go on through the letter of how difficult it was. And the whole tone of the letter is, Timothy, keep going. Don't give up. Don't drop the baton. It's really important that you don't, Timothy. Don't give up. And therefore, there's a lot for us to learn as a church. I'm not saying we're in the situation of this church in Ephesus. But actually, what we learn from this letter is what's important in church life, how we're to be as church, how we're to do ministry, and what's important, and therefore, what isn't. And maybe the first thing that we learn, just from that overview, is that sometimes church life can be hard. Uh, Sometimes it can be very difficult. And sometimes church leaders and church members might be tempted to give up. Uh, Leaders can give up on ministry, well, sometimes just by quitting. But sometimes, as maybe was the case for Timothy, just by pulling back. Uh, Like if you've watched a 
football match or something, you know, and you're aware there's a player who just doesn't want the ball. Uh, they, they do all they can not to get it. Maybe, maybe not in professional football, but in, in children's football. You know the, the kid where they just, they don't want the ball to come to them. And maybe that's what it was like for Timothy. It's not that he'd actually officially resigned, but he just stepped back, not quite prepared to preach and teach what he should. Uh, so church leaders can give up and sometimes church members can give up. Again, sometimes by just quitting, but sometimes by, again, just pulling back. Uh, maybe giving up coming to church. Yeah, maybe giving up on home group, maybe giving up on their own personal quiet times with the Lord, but maybe also just not engaging with telling others about Jesus. I did that in the past, but I, I don't do that now. And maybe stopping because it's just tough. People don't respond. People ignore you. People just think you're ridiculous for trusting in Jesus. And therefore it's easy, isn't it, just to think, well, I, I've done that and, and maybe I'll step back. Well, we need Paul's letter to Timothy here to encourage us to keep going, whether things are easy or whether things are difficult, actually, just to keep going with gospel ministry. And so we need to learn, well, okay, how does Paul encourage Timothy? How does he say to him, keep going? What can we learn from this? We're just going to, we're going to pick out four things this morning. The first thing Paul does in the letter is to remind Timothy of how the race began. He says, this is how the race began. This is what happened when the gun was fired, when the race started. And he does it in verse one. Have a look down at 2 Timothy chapter one, verse one. It's exciting, I think, to be starting a new series, starting into a, a, a new book of the Bible for us. How does Paul begin? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. Paul begins saying his own position. He says, I'm an apostle. Now, what's an apostle? An apostle is one who is sent. That's what the word means. It's one who is sent, sent by Jesus. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, that's very significant. He's saying, I'm in the rank of being an apostle. Now, who are the apostles? Jesus designated it says in his earthly ministry he called 12 people to him at one point we read this in Luke chapter 6 he called 12 people to him and he designated them apostles you can read that uh, for yourself like I say in Luke 6 they were people who were to be with him to witness his ministry to hear his teaching uh, they were those who after Jesus had died and risen to life again and ascended, they were filled with the Spirit to go and they had authority to go and teach. And if you go back to Luke and read the list of the names, you'll see that Paul wasn't in them. So how is Paul an apostle? Well, he would point to his conversion, to when he became a Christian. You see, it was after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He was going out to persecute churches, to persecute Christians. He hated Christians, wanted them locked up, wanted them killed. And yet Jesus stopped him. He had a vision of the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus appeared to him 
and said this. It's reported, well, you can read in Acts chapter 9, but in Acts chapter 26, Paul recounts it again. And this is what Paul says, Jesus said to him. Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you, that's the word apostle, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul is saying at the beginning of this letter, I'm an apostle, one sent by Jesus. There was his commissioning that he recorded in Acts chapter 26. And back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, right at the start there. So he says, Paul, an apostle, he says that's his authority sent by Jesus of Christ Jesus. And notice he emphasizes this is by the will of God. And that's significant as well, isn't it? Paul's saying, look, I'm in this role. I've been sent by Jesus. It was God's plan. And that's important. At the start of the relay race, when God commissioned Paul and said, go and proclaim, go, and sing, go to the Gentiles, go and start this relay race of the gospel, it's important to remember it was not Paul's idea. It wasn't Peter's idea. It wasn't any of the other apostles. It was Jesus' idea. It was Jesus' plan. He fired the gun. He gave them the baton. He sent them off. And furthermore, Paul says not just that it was Jesus that got him going on this race, but he also says what the message was. Do you see it in verse 1? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. That's the message, that you come to Jesus and you can have life. That makes the message, the baton, of far greater importance than any other message. This isn't just a, a message to pass on, like, like just a, a, a trifling message along the lines of, you know, don't be late home or don't forget the milk. It's not even on the level of climate change or news about the war in, in Ukraine. You know, it's not that level. This is far higher. This is about life, that those who have Christ have eternal life. That is the significance. Paul's saying to Timothy right from the start, that is the level of what we're dealing with. This is why you mustn't drop the baton. God started this race through Paul saying, send this message out and it's about life. So don't drop the baton, Timothy. Even in the first sentence, we see uh, how important this is. So here's the start of the race. Paul, commissioned by Jesus to take this message of life in Christ Jesus to others. And then he turns to Timothy. And as we read, I'm sure you spotted the warmth that there is here between Paul and Timothy. It's a wonderfully warm letter. Isn't it? I mean, Paul is having to deal with someone here who is tempted to pull back from ministry. And it could have sounded a bit like a sort of performance review, couldn't it? in a workplace sort of you know start with well what were your goals and how you're doing and well you're not doing quite so well are you or it might have started to, like 
like a parent-teacher time at school, which um, have changed somewhat since I was at school. When I was at school, I didn't go to the parent-teacher time. You just found out afterwards how it went. Now the pupils are there and the teachers seem to start by saying, how do you think it's going? Which is always a bit of a loaded question for a pupil to deal with, isn't that? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't start, well, how do you think things are going, Timothy? He actually starts with affection. With love. Do you notice it? He starts to, to verse 2. To Timothy, my dear son. Now, he's not his biological son. He's, this is a spiritual sort of father-son relationship. Clearly, Paul was involved in preaching the gospel uh, where, where Timothy was. And Timothy had learned it. And they developed this relationship. It's like a father and son. There is great affection. And see how it goes on. He says, I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Well, that's love, isn't it? That's affection. Father, son, love of saying, I, I, remember, I remember you a lot during the day and I, I pray for you when I remember you. And he goes on, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Well, that would be a great encouragement. Wouldn't you love it if someone said that to you? I long to see you. It would fill me with joy to see you. That's a great encouragement for Timothy, isn't it? To, to know that that's how Paul felt about him. Now, you might say, well, so what? Is there a teaching point in that? I mean, we're reading a letter between two people and, you know, we're just seeing their, their affection for one another. It's great to read, but, but so what? Is there a teaching point in there? Well, preachers seem to manage to make teaching points out of anything. I'm sure there is. But actually there is because um, Paul elsewhere, it's not just between Paul and Timothy that there's this affection that is um, shown, but with others as well. So, I mean, you could turn, don't need to turn there, I'll read it, but in Philippians... Uh, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's not just for Timothy, it's for whole churches that Paul says, I, I, you know, I've got great affection for you. And verse 9 of Philippians, he then says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He wants them to love one another as well. And that's a great thing for us to pray, that we would love one another deeply. For many of us, our cultural inheritance is probably one where we, we tend to keep people at, at arm's length, don't we? That's what we tend to do. That we don't easily let others in. Now, many in our church family are very good at, at loving one another. Now, maybe some of us, we need to learn from that, to how to open up to one another, how to love one another, let one another in and serve one another. It's something we want to pray we keep growing in, in our love for each other. I think we're good at it, but I, I think we can grow in it. Let's keep loving one another. It was great to be on the day away yesterday, actually, just to spend time together. And I want to encourage you, OK, maybe you weren't able to be there, but to look for ways of spending time with one another loving one another and there's a particular application for those in leadership roles do we love those we're serving those in your home group if you're leading children's or youth ministry do you love the children and young people we don't want people just filling a role we want people who will love the children and young people 
longing for them with the affection of Christ Jesus that they would come to faith and grow in faith. Maybe what about those who you've ministered to in the past? There are many here in our church family who've been involved in youth or children's ministry in the past over many years. There are many here who've been pathfinder leaders. I wonder if you look back on those times of leading that ministry. Maybe you could think right now, could you think of someone that you've taught in the past, if that's you? I know not everyone has, but there are many here who have. Can you think of someone in the past that you've taught? Maybe someone, don't think of the obvious one. Think of someone else that you've taught in the past, taught about Jesus. Could you pray for them this week? And maybe even be in touch with them. Just say, I've been praying for you. If you know their, their contact is, I mean, don't make it weird, but, you know, maybe be in touch with them. Just say, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? We need to love those we minister to. And the next thing we see is uh, how Paul tells Timothy to look back. So third point, sorry, we, I didn't uh, prompt that. There we go. Remember those who passed the baton to you. That's the next thing he says. He says, Timothy, uh, Timothy, you to look back. Yeah, remember my love for you, Paul says, but remember others who've passed the gospel on to you, who've passed the baton to you. And Paul says this about himself as well. Did you notice that? Verse three, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. He's saying, you know, okay, Paul, uh, Paul's saying, okay, Jesus gave me this message to give, but actually my forefathers, my ancestors, they served faithfully and I'm keeping going serving faithfully just as they did. And Timothy, you look back as well. Remember who you were taught by? Yeah, you were taught by Paul, but he says, verse five, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now, lives in you also. He says, look back to those people, Timothy. You've got some wonderful women in your family. Your granny, your mum. Granny Lois, who believed the gospel. And your mum. She passed it on to you, didn't she? Remember them. I remember them, Paul says. They had faith, and so do you. And so it's good for us to look back on those who passed the baton to us. For some, like Timothy, it was family. Well, who was it for you? I wanted to have a think. Was it your parents? Maybe it was your grandparents? Who else was it? Was it uncles, aunts? Who was it? Someone in your family, maybe, who taught you? I discovered recently, it didn't teach me, but I discovered my great-great-grandfather had been a preacher. There you go. I didn't know him. Uh, a guy called Richard Earlback. And he'd, he'd been a, a preacher and had seen revival by the sounds of it from what I read in, in a church where he was preaching. Now, as I read that, I was encouraged. I thought, oh, one of my ancestors, he was a preacher. You, that's an encouragement to keep going. What about for you? Was it your mum or dad? Did they teach you Bible stories? Get you acting the man? Did they pray with you? Teach you to pray? Now, it may be that that's you. Maybe there are some here who say, you know what, I've never known a time where I didn't trust in Jesus because I was just taught it. I was taught it from childhood. That is a wonderful thing to be thankful for. It may mean you feel you've got a very dull testimony. When people say, tell us how you became a Christian, you feel, well, you know, I don't even need 30 seconds. I can tell you in five seconds. It's because my parents taught me it. That's a wonderful thing. 
It's a great thing to be able to say that, to say, I learned it from my mum and dad. Yeah, you might not be able to say, well, I lived a life of crime and then became a Christian, but it's still a good testimony, isn't it? Maybe you look back to those who weren't in your family, like Paul with Timothy. You say, actually, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just family. Maybe there were others as well. Maybe you've got names of people, I do, people who taught me, names who would, that would mean nothing to you. Who do you have? Who's gone before you? Do you also know others who've run the race before us? Famous names of people? It's good to do, isn't it? To read biographies of those in the past who've kept going through difficult times, who've kept faithful. You could go back to people like Ridley and Latimer, those who gave their lives so that others would hear the gospel, like Jim Elliot, or more recent heroes like John Stott or Billy Graham, others that you've read about, heroes of the faith. You go, yeah. They ran before us. Now, Paul isn't just reminding Timothy of those people out of sentimentality. He's not just saying, oh, let's have a you know, family remembrance time. He's saying, um, actually, this is important so that you keep going. Imitate them. Carry on. And so having thought about those who've gone before us, just think, who are the people you're passing the baton on to? Parents, grandparents? You look back to those who gave it to you. Now, how about you? How are you doing passing it on to the next generation? Don't buy into the lie. If you're a parent or grandparent, don't buy into the lie that we shouldn't really tell children about you. You know, let them grow up and let them make their decision for themselves. That's a lie, isn't it? Actually, it's important we teach them the truth and encourage them to hold on to the truth. Yes, they'll make their decision, but actually we want to teach them it. You wouldn't do it about other things, would you? You wouldn't say, well, you know, it's up to you whether you eat food or not. No, no, it's far more important. You tell them, no, you're going to eat your food and you're going to eat your greens. Well, we don't do it with the gospel either. We say, no, actually, we're going to teach the truth. And grandparents, notice there's an important role here for you as well to keep praying for your grandchildren, passing on the message. So keep going, even when it's hard, even when children don't want to do their Bible times, even when they don't want to come to church, you keep going. And it isn't just about biological family, is it? It's also for those you're passing the gospel onto who aren't part of your biological family. Keep going. So Paul says to Timothy, look back, see those who passed the baton on to you and keep passing it on. And last thing, Rely on the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit. Paul reminds Timothy that he is fully equipped for this task because he has the Spirit in him. Uh, James Bond, we know, always has gadgets, doesn't he? Always has the right gadgets. Uh, he never has gadgets where he goes back at the end and says, well, that was a useless gadget. Didn't need that one. Eddie Izzard does a bit in one of his routines about this, uh, as if... Uh, Bond was coming back after a, a mission and complaining to Q about the gadgets he gave him, which were just utterly useless. Things like a watch that turns into a hamster, or a hat that turns into a subutio table, or jam trousers. That's one I like. As if he's going back saying, why did you give me these? Utterly useless on the mission. No, no, Bond always has the right gadgets for the mission and always uses them. What about Timothy? Timothy has 
what he needs in the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now what's this gift? Slightly hard to know. Uh, because Paul doesn't sort of say straight away. Uh, What's this gift that that Paul is saying, fan it into flame? Uh, It may be helpful just to look back um, to 1 Timothy. If you could just keep a hand in 2 Timothy. Go back to 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. So page 1193, you've only got to go back one page. Um, Verse 13, he says, "'Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, "'to preaching and to teaching.'" Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So that looks like the gift is preaching and teaching. So that could well be the gift that Paul is talking about here at the beginning of 2 Timothy, that it's preaching and teaching. It may well be others have added in sort of saying maybe it's the role of being leader of the church as well. Um, And the ways to do that is through the preaching and teaching. So Paul is saying to him here um, at the beginning of 2 Timothy, fan into flame this gift, get going at preaching and teaching, do this ministry. But he also then reminds him of the nature of the spirit. So he says, verse 7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. He says it's not a spirit of timidity. Or you uh, you could translate that as cowardice. It's not a spirit of cowardice, but rather, verse 7 again, uh, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. And each of those things are important. Paul saying, no, the spirit is not one where you're frightened. He doesn't give you um, fear, but rather power. And what's that power going to look like? Well, in, to Timothy, it's going to be power to keep going. How do you see the Spirit's power at work? Well, there are lots of different ways you can. But one very significant one is when you see people persevering in faith, when it's difficult. When you see people keeping going, even though their friends are going to think they're ridiculous for following Jesus, when actually their friends think that they're silly for, for, for doing what they do and not joining in with what they do, that is the Spirit at work, empowering someone. Timothy, you're going to need the Spirit's power. That's what the the Spirit does. He's a spirit of power, of love. Timothy, you're going to need love. For this church, where it's so difficult, where there's quarrelling over coffee time, you're going to need love. And it's a supernatural thing when it happens. When people love those who are just difficult. That's the Spirit's work. You're feeling like you lack love for the church family? Ask God to give it to you. By his spirit at work in us. And self-discipline. Self-discipline not to cave in, but to keep going. Well, we need to ask the Lord, don't we, to strengthen us by his spirit. Maybe if we feel like caving in, giving up. So will we keep going? Will we keep passing on the baton? to the next generation, to the people around us. In the great relay race of the gospel, we may be tempted to hide or to give up. 2 Timothy was written to someone who could have given up. And it's so helpful for us. Paul reminds Timothy of how the race began, of his love for him, reminds him of those who've gone before and tells him of the spirit within and therefore urges him to keep going and urges us 
keep going. The baton was passed on from Paul to Timothy and on and on through the generations to those who passed it on to you and now to you and me. Will we be faithful? Let's pray we are. Let's pray. Father, we need your strength. We need to keep going. Thank you that you started this race going as you commissioned Paul to take the message. Father, thank you. It has been faithfully transmitted down through the generations. And Father, it's with us now and we need your strength. We need your spirit at work in us. Thank you. He is a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And we pray, therefore, you would help us to live those things out as your spirit moves among us. And help us to keep passing on that gospel. Amen.